you would please stand for the reading of Christ's word this morning. It's a little bit lengthier this morning. I do apologize, but it was too good not to leave out certain parts. So if I would, just if I could tune your ears already, look for three encounters that Jesus has in this passage. May you hear the word of Christ. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him. And he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And seeing him, he fell at his feet. He implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and crowded in upon him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus, and came up behind him in the crowd, and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garment? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher anymore? But overhearing this, when they said it, Jesus replied to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not, do not fear, but believe. And he allowed only one of them Except Peter and James and John and brother of James, they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing aloud. And when he had entered, he said to him, Why are you making commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but only sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in to where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately well overcome by amazement. And he strictly charged that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Let us pray. Father, we were reminded about your amazing power and your ability to see that even overcoming death is not an impossibility. And so at this time, as we read your scripture, as we learn more about who you are through your word, may you now overcome our deaf ears. May you overcome our dead hearts. May you overcome our minds that might not be willing to listen May you speak to us and may your word grow richly within us. 
so that we might live out your word to speak your word in a way that is bold but gentle. We offer these things in the name of your son. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> if I could bring us about to where we began in January, knowing that we've had a few issues with uh, whether it was colds, some of you missing, or with ice and snow where we've missed again. Uh, this entire month of January is devoted to holy time. And as I reminded you in the last sermon uh, of December, we were looking towards this entire year of 2019 in which we were to look at how we can be responsible, how we can take our roles in our daily lives and be able to pour the small things up to Christ and how we can be responsible with the small things. And if I can remind you again in that last sermon of December, we were trying to look at that passage uh, from Luke where Jesus reminds his, his disciples, his church, of how we are to be responsible with the small things because it is in the small things that the kingdom grows. And so this entire year, we're looking at small things. In the month of January specifically, looking at how holy time, a time set apart, in which we can be a people that are responsible with the smallness of holy time. And so that first uh, sermon in January was dealing with the Sabbath. How can we be Sabbath keepers? How can we set aside time in order to rest in the things of Christ? And so the last, this being uh, the last uh, Sunday in January, I'm looking at this kind of question. Holy time as it relates to divine interruptions. Divine interruptions. Who in here loves to be interrupted? Nobody really likes to be interrupted, do we? We're in the middle of telling a story to our best friend, uh, to our spouse, uh, to uh, whoever it is that we might come across and then somebody runs up real quick and says, hey, 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 what was stop to say? I got to and they're usually about under four feet and it's something so pressing that they have to tell you. We know plenty as parents and grandparents. We know plenty as just everyday Joes and Janes about interruptions we do not like being interrupted at all. We have some sort of goal set for the morning, some goal set for the day, and we want to make sure that this is done, this is done, this is done. And there shouldn't, we tell ourselves, there shouldn't be any interruptions in the process because that's just slowing me down. That's slowing down my progress and my productivity. We don't like interruptions. But what if I could ask this question to us this morning, church? What if, our, what if interruptions are God's way of speaking through other people or speaking directly to us? What if interruptions themselves are the ways that Jesus can actually talk to us and in the midst of that interruption, tell us more about who he is and how we can live him out? We would be greatly surprised, I think. Because I hope at this point I'm starting to erupt memories in your own life where you realize that that interruption in life, at that time, that interruption in life, they stuck with you in remarkable ways. 
that you didn't expect that moment to, to happen, and yet there it was, and it changed you and your path that you were on in life. So there are plenty of interruptions that we probably can think of, but Jesus in this passage has plenty to teach us about divine interruptions. So uh, talking with Jade, which I had, you know, of course, this sermon planned last Sunday, uh, as we were talking about that week, the types of interruptions that we see in our lives or we've seen at some point in our lives, we came up with this list. Parents, grandparents, uh, have you ever tried to talk on the phone? And again, that little one who's under four foot come quickly to you and has something so pressing that he has to tell you. Yes, we have plenty of those moments. Or you're trying to talk to a business partner or whatever it might be related to your work and somebody comes in and stops the conversation. Those are the interruptions that we thought of. What about the electricity going out? Sorry, PJ, this is not a, a jab against you. We're thankful for the you turning the electricity back on. But the electricity, we have fans that go in each of our rooms and when the electricity goes out, all our kids are up because there's dead silence. There's not that hum of a fan. We're getting sick on a holiday. We didn't know anything about that this past uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas, did we? Plenty of sickness when you expect, I want to go see my family. And what happens? You get sick. And that interruption prevents you from that, maybe that one time or two times that you get to see other family members that you don't get to see throughout the rest of the year. We're traffic jam. We don't know much about this in Trenton, uh, but we know in Jackson for sure. Raleigh, North Carolina, where we lived before here, I lived, uh, we lived 20 minutes from my work. It took me over an hour. I mean, no traffic, 20 minutes, but one traffic hit, well over an hour to get home. Knowing that that kind of activity happened, you had to expect interruption. <clears throat> or your computer crash, when there's something very important you're working on at work or school life, and your computer just completely die. Stop working. And there's nothing you can do. What about trying to be productive, uh, but that phone just keeps nagging at you to keep checking it? That's something our youth know about, something I personally know, how, know about when I'm trying to do something productive and yet my phone keeps calling to me, check your email, check your messages, check this social media alert calling out to you. Or serious illness, when cancer hits, when you least expect it, when very difficult sickness hits for your family or friends or you personally, that interruption that you never expected in your life. This is just a small list of the interruptions that I think I've got you started thinking about. And the interruptions that we see here in this passage in Mark 5, it's remarkable of the interruptions that happen. And I told you to look for three interruptions and we're going to keep coming back to those three interruptions throughout the sermon this morning. But I want to pull out a couple of things as it relates to the passage first. What you notice about the three different peoples, whether it's Jairus, this leader of the synagogue, 
or the crowd that's pushing up against Jesus, or thirdly, uh, the bleeding woman, they're all desperate. Every single one of them are desperate to get close to Jesus. If you see here in the very first um, part of, sorry, the latter part of Mark 5 as it relates to verses 21 and 22, you have the crowds gathering about Jesus as soon as he lands on the shore, pressing in against him. The desperation is there. Then you move down to verse 22. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. Here he is in desperation because he is imploring him, the scripture says. Imploring him. When you implore somebody, you're desperate. You're trying to stop them in their tracks and saying, this is so important. You need to stop what you're doing. You need to come with me. And we find out through Jairus that it's his little girl who's about 12 years old who is dying. That desperation is serious. Or lastly, if we look at verses 27 and 28, the desperation of this bleeding woman who, who had heard reports about this Jesus and then goes and comes up behind him in order to do what? Touch his garments. And then Mark tells us why. Well, she thinks to herself, if I can even touch his garments, I will be made well. So you see the desperation of the crowds. You see the desperation of Jairus. You see the desperation also of this bleeding woman. Here's another thing that you notice about this passage. The need for healing and rescue. Every, every single one of them need healing and rescue. Now, we don't know about the crowds, why they need healing and rescue, but we can tell from their desperation that they want to be near to Jesus. And considering the passage where if you look before Mark 5 here, uh, leading up to this very passage, Jesus has been healing many a people. And if you follow even after it, when Jesus is rejected at Nazareth, you see him continually going out, feeding thousands of people. They're all recognizing the miracles that are happening all throughout the land. So even though we don't know why the crowd is pushing up against him, we know that there's some reason of this desperation that they probably too want to be touched. They want to be healed. They want to be rescued in some sort of way. But two we do know about the healing and rescue. The first is Jairus, his daughter. In verse 23, as you read with me, it says that he implored Jesus, my little daughters at the point of death, come and lay your hands on her so that she will be made well and live. Knowing that the miracles that have happened in this area, Jesus is being sought out by his miraculous ability to not only bring people back from death, but also to be making people well and whole. And so he recognizes not only that desperation, but here is my rescuer. I want him, I need him to help my daughter and my family in this time. Then you also see the bleeding woman. If you look at verse 29... Uh, it says that she had come up behind him, wanted to touch his garment, and immediately after she touches him, look what Mark records. 
the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. The need for that kind of healing and rescue was serious. She knew of the one who could rescue her, the one who could heal her, and it was only through the touching of his garments that she could be made well. And if you know anything about the history of, of the first century people, that they understood up into this time that the rescuer, the Messiah, when he comes, he will have so much power that it will be even in the wings of his garments. If you understood Jewish culture and how they clothed themselves, the rabbis had, and many other people had, certain parts of their clothes that were actually corners. That in, in the Jewish language, it was kanafs, these corners of the actual garments where they understood that when the Messiah came, you didn't just have to get near him and touch his body or him touch you, but even his garments. He carried power and the ability to save and rescue. And so we here find that exact situation. If I can only touch the corners of his garments, if I could just get near to him, I will be made well. So not only do you have this desperation of the people around him, the desperation of Jairus, the desperation of uh, the woman who has been bleeding for 12 years, you also have this need for rescue and healing by the people as well, by Jairus' daughter and the bleeding woman. But here, let me get to the meat of the sermon this morning. <clears throat> what you notice about the character of Christ here, this is likely not a word, but I'm using it, and I think you'll understand it. Jesus is interruptible, isn't he? He's interruptible. Yeah, you might not know what I'm... <laughs> that's not a word you can probably find in your dictionary, but... He was always willing to put himself in the space and time in order to be interrupted. He didn't have to go to the other side of the sea. Didn't have to. But he put himself in a position so that he could be interrupted. Whether you're looking at the crowds plus Jairus here, or if you're looking at the bleeding woman in verse 30, when she is the one who is touching this Jesus, he's interruptible. And I wish, I wish we could get a picture of this in our heads. Because the language in the Greek is a mob scene. I mean, it's absolutely chaotic and disastrous. If you look at verse 24, and a great crowd followed him, and some translations might say thronged about him or crowded upon him, it's so serious that people are starting to freak out over how many people are close to Jesus. And I think you can get a little bit of a, the scenario later on in that passage when there's so many people pressing up against him that the disciples begin to get worried about it. And I, the only picture that I can imagine is um, Brad Pitt or any other major star walking through a normal scene of everyday life and what happens? Chaos ensues. That's Brad Pitt. Oh, am I going to stand by and just look? No, I'm not. I'm going to get as close as I can. I'm going to take a picture. I'm going to try to get my picture with him. 
So once it comes to this situation right here, the seriousness of the mob that is around him, it is overwhelming to the disciples. But notice Jesus. Is he scared? No. Because he's put himself in this situation in order to be interrupted in this time and in this place. But notice the question that Jesus asked to the, to the crowd, the disciples, after the bleeding woman has touched him. Who touched me? And it's almost like a joke to the disciples. And I hope you can hear a little bit of the humor when they respond. The crowd's pressing on him. Jesus, whoa, whoa, whoa. They're pushing on you. There is a mob around him. And you ask, who touched me? Look around. There's dozens of people pushing up against you. And you ask, who touched me? I hope we get this scenario where Jesus isn't asking because he's confused. He knows good and well who's touched him. He feels the power release from him. He feels that there's healing that has taken place. He's asking in order for the person who's touched him to confess that they've actually touched him. It's the, almost the same question that you get in Genesis 3.9 when uh, Adam and Eve been set in the garden and then they have disobeyed God. They have not done what is right and just and good. And then they've eaten of the fruit and then they are now open. Their eyes are open of the whole situation. They know good and evil and then God shows up in the cool of the day and what does he ask? Where are you? God knows where they are. He wants them to open up to what has actually happened. He's giving them an opportunity to come before him and say, this is what I've done. I'm going to confess to what's happened. And this is that situation here in Mark 5 when the woman has come near to him, touched him, and he's asking, who touched me? It gives her that opportunity, and she does. She comes before him and says, it was me, and I'm in fear and trembling, and I've put myself before you. And then notice what Jesus, uh, Mark records. She tells him the whole truth. In other words, she, she tells him the whole story of what's been going on in her life for the past 12 years. That is captured in one verse. Do you think for a second that that was just a real short story? No. She's recounting of everything that has happened to her, the money that she's put into this, the physicians who cannot heal her, the fact that she's still not just bleeding, but she's in worse condition than when she started 12 years ago. And yet Jesus is stopped, and he's listening to this whole story because he is interruptible. But also notice that Jesus is approachable. Every single person in this story, in this little narrative, approaches Jesus. Yeah, they're desperate. They're needing healing and rescue. But the fact of the matter is, he's approachable. Even the Pharisees in near, nearly every single gospel account approach Jesus because he's approachable. The people who hate him are willing to approach him. So the, even the people who are needing rescue and are desperate they are approaching him as well. So if you're looking uh, for a couple of takeaways once it comes to the approachability of Jesus, everybody in this narrative is comfortable with approaching him. And everybody draws near in faith to this Jesus because they really believe who he says he is. 
Otherwise, they wouldn't be near to him. If they had some sort of doubt in their mind that Jesus cannot heal or deliver me, they wouldn't be near him. They actually believe who he is and who he's going about in this country telling other people who he is, and that is the Messiah. When we look at verse 34 of the bleeding woman, Jesus tells her, your faith has made you well. Now go, daughter. Or this amazing account when Jairus' uh, daughter is raised from death, Jesus tells him right before they go and this miraculous account happens in verse 36, only believe. Only believe. Both of these words are the same, church. You might say, well, no, 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 no. Verse 34 says faith. Verse 36 says uh, believe. They're the same word in the Greek. And it means to put yourself, to trust yourself and commit yourself almost like as this allegiance or oath to Jesus. Trusting that who he is and trusting what he can do for you. Whether it's the woman with the bleeding, where it's Jairus and his dying daughter, it is the same person who heals and brings people back from the dead. This Jesus is not only approachable, he's interruptible, but we can go to him for healing and rescue. We can go to him also in our most desperate times. So I want to close this morning with a reading from Ephesians and see how we can live this out this morning. Paul, writing to the church at Ephesus, says this, Therefore, be imitators, mimickers, imitations of God as beloved children and walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. You know, there's something radically unique about Jesus. We can't bring people back from the dead. We can't. That's something that only Christ alone can do. We can provide a type of healing to people. Now, we can't provide the type of healing that Jesus is able to, but we can offer other types of healing towards people, social healing, maybe financial healing, maybe some sort of relationship healing, maybe uh, marital healing, spiritual healing. We have the ability to be God's people. So the reason why I read Ephesians 5.1, be imitators of God, I think that call is also for us in this passage of Mark to not only see the desperation of the people around us, not only to see that people genuinely want rescue, not only do we see Jesus' uh, model of life of being interruptible, and not only that Jesus is himself approachable, if we are imitators of Christ, we are to be Christ-like in these ways. May we be approachable. Which means that we have to exude or show and manifest the life of Christ towards others. People will show up. People who hate us and people who love us. They will approach us. Or interruptible. I think the hardest prayer... Uh, let me back up. One of the hardest prayers that you can pray is, Jesus, interrupt my day with yourself. It's a tough prayer to pray. Interrupt my day with yourself. You know what will happen? 
A lot of people will show up in your life and interrupt your day. And that's why you probably will not like this prayer. And that's why it's one of the hardest prayers to pray. Interrupt my life with you and with others so that I might show others who you are, be an imitator of you, and also show that I am interruptible. That I can be approached as you were approached. And Lord willing, we can provide some sort of rescue through our lives as we imitate Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the reminder that this passage is just remarkable. That it is so difficult to be interrupted. And it is. It's a hard prayer to pray. To say that Christ interrupt my day with yourself, but also interrupt my life with other people who are desperate and in need of you. But it is a prayer worth praying, Father. And so may we model the approachability of Christ as people interrupt us, but may we also model the rescue, the redemption that you have given to us on our behalf so that we might show the world that we are imitators of you. We are a people who are trying our best to exude and manifest that rescue that salvation that you have given us. And so, Lord, I pray right now over this church, interrupt us this week with many people. And may we see ultimately that these are divine interruptions that you have set in front of us and give us the eyes at that very time in that moment to say, there you are, Christ. You're interrupting me. I see it. I see it right now. And so may we be a people who are approachable, interruptible in that way to be able to show that redemption, to show who you are, Christ. And so make us imitators and imagers of you this week. We offer these things in your name. Amen.